This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I just love the idea of male, male enhancement yeah. tourism. Come for the seafood, stay for the penis enhancement. That was a crushing detail about how he can no longer hold it in his hand. I mean, right. what, what can he hold it with? A uh, tweezer? Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a magnifying glass? Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. And this is uh, week three of Useful Idiots Unchained, Useful Idiots Judgment Day, Useful Idiots Returns. Useful Idiot European Vacation. Useful Idiots Fury Road. We're doing yet an, yet another episode of the new Useful Idiots. And, uh, and yet another excited. one. He sounds so excited. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to convey the maximum excitement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lo- lots to get to. We have an lots interesting guest this week. But we have some other announcements we have to get to before right. we uh, yes. get to the show. And just so people know, that will be the a bonus. Premium content. That's premium content. Because, again, you guys get the full podcast, the full video for free. I, th- I think we're going to start do- mixing this a little bit with substance abuse. We haven't quite figured out the right. formula. It's called uh, sub substack abuse. Right, yes. This will be the substack abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Substack yeah. stance, which you have a very strong one. We mean, that's what last episode was about, our substack right. stance. And our hot take was don't try. I mean, you can try. Try to blackmail substack into uh, driving people off the, the site, but... It just may not work. You might get a Streisand <laughs> effect and you might see more Substack subscribers, right. which, is, which is what nobody wants, apparently. So anyway, p- progressing. Progressing. With- so we have an RSS feed. And guess what, guys? Everything old is new again. So it's just the same RSS feed for the podcast as we had before. If you've unsubscribed, resubscribe. We will soon have a vanity URL where it's like useful idiots, youtube.com slash useful idiots. But for now, you can find everything on Substack. You can subscribe to the RSS feed as you would any other podcast. And again, if you were already subscribed to us, then you don't have to resubscribe. Thanks for this uh, wonderful ride. We're still, we still have some growing pains. But you know what? That's the price of freedom and independence. We are, right. we have deep. Okay, useful idiots decolonized. This is the post-colonial period of, of useful idiots. Where Subaltern. Everything is at usefulidiots.substack.com. If you're ever, you know, you feel unmoored, rudderless, just go there. Yeah, and the site is also going to be now a repository for things like updates about guests of the show, other things that we might talk about. More interaction, suggestions for books that you want us to read passages of, and whenever there's a useful bump, which is when, uh, or idiot bump, which is when one of our guests is in the news and we claim credit for it. After we had uh, Jesse Single and uh, Katie Herzog on the show, immediately they plunged into yet another insane Twitter controversy, Glad. Uh, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Discrimination put Jesse on their list, basically their shit list yeah. that included people like Ted Cruz and, and Donald Trump. And, you know, he was upset about it, obviously, yeah. and, and uh, tweeted about it. Uh, but then Dan Savage, the sort of famed LGBTQ columnist from The Stranger and the uh, the inventor of the neologism Santorum, he 
he did something which people basically don't do on Twitter anymore, which is he he uh, he stood up for an unpopular person, and within right. about eight seconds, he was trending on Twitter in the United States because everybody wanted you to know how much not only he sucks now, but how much he's always sucked. Yeah, uh, and that became a whole thing, and clearly, right. it's our fault. All press is good press, right? I don't care what that you say about me as long as you spell my name right. I mean, to, it would have been nice if they had spelled Jesse's first name. They just wrote single because I guess they were in a rush, a mad rush. Right. To warn people. Yeah. Maybe but, yeah. they were confusing him with some other single that we don't know about. Ezekiel single. Yeah, Ezekiel or, single. Right. Uh, or, yeah. Jer- uh, Jedediah single. Yeah. Uh, Methuselah single. Methuselah. Uh, all right, so a lot to get to. We should get to the four food groups. Yeah. Uh, Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? I think you're up first. Yeah, I got the there. Democrats suck. So this is a great clip. This is from uh, Mehdi Hassan has a, a show on Peacock now, and uh, he interviewed uh, Cedric Richmond. And there are a lot of good things in legislation, but also some questionable things. I want to talk about one of those. Today's the 11th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. As you say, the rescue plan expands subsidies for ACA plans, making premiums much cheaper for many families. That's a good thing. But it could also spend an estimated $35 billion fully covering COBRA for around 2 million unemployed people for just six months. How is that a good use of that money? $35 billion subsidizing insurance companies for six months. Wouldn't that money be better invested towards building universal health care in this country? Well, clearly you have health insurance right now. Uh, But the question is, you ought to pose that to people who have lost their job through no fault of their own that has lost their health insurance and they need a bridge so that they stay uh, with insurance so that they can get that checkup and detect cancer early. It's very easy for people to make judgment calls when they're not uh, in other people's shoes. And I won't do that. Uh, I won't put a price on lives. I won't put a price on. Hold on. Wait, hold hold on. on. Let me finish. Hold on. With with respect. Wait. Okay. No, but. I'm not going to put a price tag on a woman finding out that she has early stages of breast cancer so that we can beat it. I mean, look, did we rise to the moment? Yes. Did we spend $1.9 trillion? We did. You know why? Because there was $1.9 trillion worth of problems in this country that we were trying to fix. Yes. So with respect, I just need to push back a little bit. I'm in favor of you spending $1.9 trillion. I'd have gone higher. I'm very happy that you're spending lots of money. Uh, and as for the money on health care, it's not that I don't want you to spend $35 billion on health care. Uh, I'm in favor of universal health care. And when you say there's no price tag on health care, the problem is you're... The president, Joe Biden, told us there is. He says we can't afford Medicare for all. I'm saying if you can afford $35 billion to give to COBRA, which is a very inefficient, overpriced way of giving people health care, why not spend that money on a universal health care system that helps everyone, not just insurance companies? Well, remember, this is a response to a pandemic. If if we didn't have COVID-19, you wouldn't see us doing uh, that COBRA appropriation. So remember, so we're, we're probably saying close to the same thing. But remember, this is in response to people losing their jobs through no fault of their own. I saw you uh, wince at at the suggestion that we should be spending it on universal health care. No, no, I'm I'm wincing because MSNBC spent the entirety of 2019 and 20 arguing the exact opposite. Yes. To be fair to Mehdi Hassan, though, he was not there at that point. And he has always been on that side of the issue. Sure. But but yes. And what's it? But but you're right that that like Andrea Mitchell, for instance, saw the value in univer- in um, uh, Medicare for all 
once Sanders was out of the race. Right. Um, I'll give her credit for that uh, totally organic evolution. First of all, Cedric Richmond is the former Louisiana representative who's a major oil and energy guy. And I don't know if you remember this, but this actually can be our new feature, Woke Wash of the Week. Mm -hmm. uh, weekly woke washing. The Sunrise Movement was upset that he was named to the Biden administration. So uh, I tweeted, I hope the New York Times calls out Mehdi Hassan for picking a fight with the most influential black staffer in the White House, right? Jonathan Martin at the New York Times. So so Sunrise Movement uh, tweeted out a release a statement saying Cedric Richmond hire is betrayal due to big oil ties and silence on pollution in his district. And Jonathan Martin of the New York Times a reporter tweets 21 preview picking a fight right from the start with the most influential black staffer in the white house who represented an energy heavy district so that's martin just totally carrying water for this for the biden administration and for cedric richmond in the most uh woke washy way ever basically being like to be oh. fair he did it in the past he didn't do it this week but, but it is his prediction, right? So right. that's going to be the 21 it's, it's preview. It's come to pass. Yeah. It's come to pass. And I wonder if he stands by this. I mean, I think it's pretty a pretty embarrassing attempt to weaponize identity politics, obviously, um, in order to protect someone whose policies are obviously bad for black people, because that's how environmental racism works. You know, then you have, of course, the famous Hillary Clinton will breaking up the banks and racism. And as you know more than I do, Matt, you know, the housing crisis uh, was quite racialized. Right, uh, yeah, it was dispro disproportionately yeah. the mortgage-backed securities thing was, it was like, a, it was it was basically a modern version of old sort of racial real estate scams. Yeah. And they had all these horrible cases like with, you know, Wells Fargo selling right. what they called ghetto loans and all that. Yeah, we got to be vigilant. This is going to happen all the time. The way that some people will try to, and Jonathan Martin's white, so A plus for the alley ship, but people are definitely trying to either um, cudgel the left through this and or protect people, cover for them, shill for them. Shill for the, those who shill themselves. It's a shilling alliance. I, I do find it interesting, though, that, that many, and, and there, that there is this new kind of direction of criticism that's kind of coming from the progressive left that you wouldn't have seen on corporate TV before. Not yeah. really sure what that's about. Like, you know, it's it's either sincere or it's, you know, it's a new form of propaganda that I haven't figured out yet. Because they're, they're, they're never going to, there is never, ever going to be, at least not anytime soon, I don't think a universal healthcare program unless the democratic party for foregoes its reliance upon right uh, those donors it's just never not going to happen yeah i mean i think medi is sincere in that i mean i disagree with him on certain things yeah. but i think he's sincere in this the thing i think it could be is this kind of release valve msnbc like pandering just enough so that they don't look like totally uh, like the the anti-single payer, anti-Medicare all apparatus Pro Park Avenue. that they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Park Avenue adjacent. I don't live on Park Avenue, but I live but pretty close. I live close pretty to... close. <laughs> you know how I got there? I worked my butt. That's Stephanie Rule, of course, who was mad that Biden, I mean, let the guy pander when he said that uh, the race was a race between Scranton and Park Avenue. The guy doesn't live in Scranton. Yes, he's from there. I mean, to be fair, Trump is from Queens, a very fancy part, Jamaica states of Queens. But if you're going to do, you know, the origins and you got to compare Scranton to 
uh, Jamaica estates. Also, this is a guy. Let him say that because obviously the guy behind closed doors who said nothing would fundamentally change. Stephanie, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Nothing would fundamentally change. Stephanie, it was just, it was just funny that they, they 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 were objecting to his fake pandering. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they were objecting. Like she's so triggered by it and so entitled by it that she doesn't even get that this is just a talking point. And and the thing he said behind closed doors, which is obviously the honest thing, is that nothing would fundamentally change. Right. I wonder if they called her. They were like, Stephanie, what are you doing? Obviously, this isn't what the race is well, about. No, I mean, let us it, say that. Not to digress too much because we can't spend too much time on this. But I mean, I think a, a, a big theme of the 2020 yeah. primary race, there was a lot of there were a lot of people indulging in kind of populist themes but that was very frowned upon by the party like they there was a lot of pushback to that and yeah. that's where you got that you know the chris matthews uh they're gonna line me up in central park and shoot me because it's like Stop Cuba. They getting kind of, my hopes up yeah i've definitely noticed that there's uh, a change in some right. of that in terms of the the media ever since ever since uh Bernie's sanders up. has been toppled right. so yeah, who, course, who knows right. what that means but, yeah yeah, yeah. the talking points are like so transparent like people have lost their jobs through no fault of their own what is that even what like usually when there isn't a pandemic people are a bunch of ne'er do ne'er do wells are the only people who lose their job i mean anyway not putting a price on price tag on healthcare. care yeah you are Obviously. And this again, he's he's working for the administration that said that he would veto a Medicare for all bill. Biden said that. So don't pretend that, you know, this is something that you guys want. Anyway, Cedric Richmond is an interesting character. And it's very weird that his position is very amorphous. It's basically to be a talking head, but also to hire someone who to create this like white conservative outreach branch for Biden. Because the optics of hiring a white conservative or a white liberal even to do that would be problematic. So Biden is is using him as the black liaison. For white conservative outreach? Yeah, yeah. I can't even wrap my head around how ridiculous all of that is. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, we, we discovered that on the Katie Halper Show in real time. Trevor Beaulieu from uh, Champagne Sharks, who's a lawyer and a podcast host, obviously, who's very good at breaking things, like getting to the... But basically, it just has that lawyerly skill of like breaking things down in real time. Figure that out. <laughs> All right, Republicans suck. As as is often the case with this show, we end up having to kind of go with sort of old standbys for Republicans suck when the party sort of lapses into its familiar old villainous habits. Right. That's th- those. That's usually the best material that we yeah. have. We had obviously we had a bunch of mass shootings uh, recently. The Republicans kind of rolled out the playbook they've been. They've been using for, God, how many years now with this stuff? At least the, uh, since the what? mid-80s, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Since the James Huberty McDonald's shooting. I always wonder was, what he what ordered. What was that one? That was the guy when the guy know. went into McDonald's and he shot like 23 people. And, and like the big mystery was, what did he order? Like, I can't remember. And no one ever found out? I don't think we ever found out. Well, maybe he was had PTSD from living with the name Huberty. Maybe. What if it was actually like had a lessence or something, or <laughs> or 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 Hatesti's dissension? Oh, I see. Because it had sounds like puberty. Test- yeah, yeah. So this week, Ted Cruz talking. Oh my god. Uh, to Sean Hannity. So this is like a matter antimatter, just sort of vortex of awesomeness already. Yeah. Also, what's up with Ted Cruz's increasingly long hair and facial hair? He's just a hideous person. He's he's going for something. I kind of I'm I think it's funny. He's 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 going yeah. for some kind of 60s like I know. 
Bob Dylan, you know, <laughs> man, man, I, man, like wise old man in a cave thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did. He was in Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible. I think that he really right. betrays his. And he was he was the Zodiac killer who probably wants to. Wait, what do you mean his... he was a Zodiac killer? You don't know about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer? No. So <laughs> this, this was a rumor. This was oh. a rumor that went around during the 2016 campaign. Trump fed into it, among others. Oh, uh, no, but, and his dad could kill JFK. Right, no, but no, but That's there was a, a, okay. a separate rumor about him being the Zodiac killer. It got so much traction oh, that they actually asked his wife, is your husband the, so, the, the Zodiac killer? Now, now, Ted Cruz was born two years after the killings ended, so it was, it was ridiculous to begin with. But she Hard-working, gave, industrious, yeah. His wife gave what, what they call a non-denial denial. She's like, uh, you know, I've known him my whole life, and I know exactly what kind of person he is. Like, she didn't say no, uh, so it... it, it Turned into this whole thing. Anyway. Do you remember when he liked a porn video? Do you remember that? Right after some like anti-masturbation speech, he liked some porn video that was an incest themed one. With Well, oh. to be fair, no, it was stepmother. So it's not incest. So forget that. That's it was not step- incest. It's that's, not. That's, you're right. But, that's, but still, that's a it's very not, common porn it's not, Well, fine. But it's not. It's not exactly. I mean. Look, I don't know what the the most repu- uh, family values ish uh, porn genre would be, but it's probably not any kind of even step relationship. Can you imagine though that he survived that? How did he survive that? He's so reactionary because I know because, ev- because everybody there. watches stepmother porn videos. Well, I mean, okay, I don't know if I can stand behind that. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the stats. Doesn't resonate with me, but. Obviously, necrophilia would be my thing of choice. Right, yes. Just kidding. I don't think that even... Does that even exist? Probably. Yeah. And then, of course, what was it? His dad killed JFK? Is that... Did did Trump make that that up? Trump Trump asked him about that. And reporters asked him about that after Trump did, which was awesome, too. Yeah. Cruz needed to win that in order to stay in the race, and he didn't. He was desperately trying to, like get some traction in the race and the reporters were asking him, are you the, are you the Zodiac killer and you did, did your dad kill JFK? And he, he was like losing his mind with frustration. It was, it was funny. Remember also, God, there's so much. Remember he elbowed his wife in the face. Nice. Excellent. And then look at her face. It's so terrible. And then he reached. That's yeah. kind of a hockey check. Yeah. Okay, watching it. There it is. Yeah. It's, it's fist and elbow. When the when you have a puck in the corner there, you just got to use every part of your body yeah, to try totally, to Yeah, totally, yeah. All right. Uh, so Ted Cruz is on Sean Hannity this week and has this exchange. Senator, thank you for standing up for our Constitution and the Second Amendment, because apparently many are not tonight and Joe Biden's threatening executive action. Well, Sean, that's exactly right. And, and the modern day left is, is more and more extreme. They have this bizarre antipathy to, to God and to prayer. So anytime, look, look, all of us have had people who've lost loved ones. And then the first thing you do when someone has lost a loved one is you reach out and say, hey, I'm lifting you up in prayer. I'm praying for you, your family. Lifting, lifting. I know you're hurting. Yeah, and, what the and, hell and is that God's- lift- Ted Cruz is a guy who, when he wants to, speaks the king's English, right? Like he's he, yeah. he, he's very... He, he's very precise in his language, but then in passages, in, in moments like this, he'll drop the G and say, listen, yes. uh, just to point that out. Anyway, go ahead. How dare you believe there's an omnipotent God who could actually love you and care for you? But, but more broadly than that, we, we see this cynical pattern 
Whenever there is a mass murder, I got to say, we have way too many of these mass murders. Look, I've I've represented Texas in the Senate for nine years now. I have been Santa Fe High School. Santa Fe is less than an hour away from my home. I was down in Santa Fe High School within an hour of that shooting. It was horrific. The crazed madman who murdered those kids. El Paso, the crazed racist bigot who murdered the people at that Walmart. I was there for that Dallas when five police officers were murdered by a radical leftist. I was there for that. And I got to tell you, Sutherland Springs, the worst small town outside of San Antonio. I was there the day after the shooting in that sanctuary. I saw with my own eyes the blood and shattered glass and the agony and the incredible love of that community. There have been too damn many of these and we need to stop them. But the Democrats proposal every time is always the same, which is take away guns from law abiding citizens. Two things about this that I think are hilarious. First is what you what you already caught on to, which is basically he's it's like sympathy for the devil. It's like every every bad thing that happened. I was there. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, when they shot the Kennedys, yeah. and, you know, when, when they, my dad they, shot the Kennedys. Yeah, exactly. When uh, when Anastasia screamed in vain, uh, killed the czar and his ministers. I was there, you know, exactly. It's like wherever you wherever you find a dead body, that's where you can find Ted Cruz. Yeah, wherever there's there's piles of bodies that are still <laughs> sizzling from being having automatic rifle rounds pumped into them. I Ted Cruz was there. Was there? Um, So that's funny because I think he, I think that was inadvertent. He, he was trying to say something, and the the structure came out all wrong. But the other thing is just this, this, the construction about it's cynical. It's just so cynical how the Democrats always gift to guns in this moment. Matt, if we could just see the graph. So as you can see, this is a chart of the donations from the National Rifle Association to the various parties. By the year 2020, I think if you actually look at it by percentage, it's above 98% uh, of all NRA donations go to the Republican Party. So whenever any of these these clowns opens uh, their mouths about what we should do about gun violence issues, uh, the, this is the only relevant data, yeah, right? you know, which, right. which is where's the money going to? Yeah, that should just go on in the what's it called, Chiron. It should just yeah, go in the yeah, Chiron. Yeah, exactly. Right it should after. go in the Chiron. Yeah. Here's how much. Cruz, to be fair, is not among the top recipients of NRA money. Probably because, because everyone hates him. Or because in Texas, you don't you don't have yeah, to spend. You don't money have to on make the, the case, right? Yeah, exactly. You like don't need everyone, the lobbyists, right? But just the whole idea that it's oh, they're so cynical. They're 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 proposing gun control measures. And but we're but we are you know paragons of virtue who are completely unaffected by the, the people massive up in prayer. ass loads of money yeah. that we're getting from the the, the National Rifle Association. Right. Um, and every time somebody murders you know ten million people uh, for no reason, uh, not only are we in favor of of cutting funds for mental health care so that folks can walk the streets, but we also want them to be as heavily armed as possible at all times because. That's just a great combination. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. You just want it to go together, right? That I mean, is, yeah, that is a good combination, the peanut butter and chocolate. But I got to say, I do like when they become totally like interdisciplinary scholars and so of sociology. Every time there's a shooting, it's like it's the culture. It's video games. Sometimes they and then the gun people will say it's a mental health issue, even though they, of course, oppose measures to to make that that like mental health a, a screening issue well sometimes they do 
that they're having. Oh, do they do both? Yeah, they have. They they have actually proposed oh, mental okay. health screening issues. But the, more importantly, they're almost always in in favor of cutting back money for mental health services, which is why which is why. You know, you have places like Cook County in Chicago right. where instead of having people institutionalized and being un- being under treatment, they're walking the streets and they end up in the criminal justice system. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, what, are, what do we have for? Isn't that weird? Okay. For isn't that weird? Well, look, I don't like to respond. I'm not. I don't want to be too beholden to the comments, and I'm not making a habit out of this. But people complained last week that there wasn't any penis content. Now, first of all, I think it was that, more like one person complained. And, and, and no, you, it was multiple people. It's not just at YouTube. There's Substack comments. There's Twitter. Matt, I got I got multiple complaints. But here's the thing. Shame on you, because there were first I internalized it because I'm a woman and I was my go to is to apologize. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that, no, there were two penis references in the last show. One was when Matt said when we were talking about the kid who got that bad haircut and was like punished with isolation because that's what British schools apparently do when kids get bad haircuts or Mm -hmm. wear earrings. And Matt was like, you know, maybe if he had like a a penis shaved into his head. And I was like, yeah, we would, of course, have him on the show if that were the case. And then at the end of our interview with Katie Herzog, she mentioned that she was what she has a blog about her, her dog's balls and penis Right. And joked about. Well, she's she's thinking about cutting off the penis and leaving the balls. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. But I didn't know that. I thought I'm so dumb about that stuff that I thought that that was actually a real option. But they are right that there wasn't very there was no penis focused news, mm. and that changes right now. So for my isn't that weird? There's actually a show, and I'm kind of afraid because uh, I feel like we're gonna. I'll try to pace myself with these because I feel like we can get good content like every week. So uh, this is an article. Uh, the The headline is Adoration uh, with Dor, you know, the D-O-O-R. My man ended up in A&E uh, after he got his penis stuck while we tried to have sex through the bedroom door. I'll do a little work on this side. Well, you've got your side covered. Are you saying... So I was playing with him through the door hole and I got so excited that I just said, we should have sex right now through this door. And it was fantastic as it always is until... Babe, what's wrong? I'm stuck. Eric took so much of the ED medication that it caused extra swelling to happen. It hurts. The doorknob hole was not big enough for his penis in that state. What do you mean you're stuck? I don't know, but I'm definitely stuck in in pain. My penis was stuck in this door hole, and I've never been in more excruciating pain in my entire life. Okay, so uh, they... uh, I love the recreation. I know, it's a reenactment, but it's not with them. Like you saw, it's not with them. Right, yeah, it it looks like a little bit, yeah. An adventurous couple have revealed how they ended up in A&E after they attempted to have sex through their bedroom door. Eric's penis became completely stuck, as we know from the video, as he attempted to spice things up with a girlfriend of two years, Katie. Wow. Could have been me, guys. Could have happened to me as a, <laughs> as a Katie. Yeah. Uh, the couple who appear on TLC's Sex sent me to the ER, and that's the show we're obviously going to be getting a lot of material from moving forward. Admit to having an active sex life starting each Sunday morning with a romp in the hay. 
After engaging in some hanky-panky, Katie decided to bribe her boyfriend into getting some chores done with the promise of a round two. However, Eric admitted he needed a break. It's really hard to keep up with Katie's amazing sex drive, he confessed. Unbeknownst to her, I had been taking some male enhancement medication. I had to make sure I was ready for the surprise later, so I had to take a little bit extra. As he waited, awaited his reward, Eric went about fitting Katie's bedroom door. He said, I had to cut a really small, small hole because, of course, Katie has to have a vintage doorknob. As I was looking at the new doorknob hole, I had an amazing idea. Okay, so he had to cut. He was doing a favor, I guess, to her, right? Like, not a non-sexual thing. Eric proceeded to poke his now erect penis through the hole in the door, much to Katie's delight. So that was his idea. So he was actually doing something to the knob unrelated to having sex, right? Right. Also, we got a good double entendre going on here for the British folk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As I was... Right, looking at the new doorknob hole, I had an amazing idea. Eric proceeded <laughs> the, to poke the light his... bulb just going <laughs> off with this guy. He's having That's his really birth of inspiration. It's like Eureka. it's like Leo Zilliard thinking up the uh, the nuclear chain reaction. Right, it's, it's that level of inspiration. It's that level, yeah. Uh, Eric proceeded to poke his now erect penis through the hole in the door, much to Katie's delight. I was surprised by how turned on I was. She said, "I was playing with him through the door hole, and I got so excited that I just said we should have sex right now through the door." However, the couple had to cut their romp short when Eric's penis became jammed in the hole. The hole being the doorknob hole. The erectile dysfunction medication that causes penis to swell, making it too big for the space. My penis is stuck in the door hole, and I've never been in more excruciating pain in my entire life, Eric said. I was incredibly shocked at how large my penis had grown, and I knew I had taken way too much of the supplement. Katie added, when I saw my boyfriend's penis turning purple... I was just thinking he might just lose his penis. After trying to free his member with the help of butter, olive oil, shampoo, and lotion, Katie was forced to call the paramedics. I was so unbelievably embarrassed, Eric admitted, as he explained to the paramedics how he had come to be in that position. They explained that the erectile dysfunction pill could last for hours and he would continue to swell, which would could lead him to lose circulation and eventually his penis. The paramedics didn't want to risk cutting him out completely and potentially cutting off his penis, so instead cut away a section of the door so Eric could make it to the ER where they could remove it safely. So he went to the ER with a door, part of a door surrounding his penis. Naturally. Um, naturally, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was obviously so embarrassed that he shared this with on television and uh, <laughs> they did a reenactment. So I'm well, glad he, he got get, over that get trauma. Get some more followers and whatever yeah. it is, whatever he, social he needed media. healing, yeah. I mean, this is like Darwin Award for, for the Darwin Award for people having sex. I mean... Yeah, but he didn't learn his. I mean, it w- maybe it would be if he had lost the penis. I'm glad he didn't. I'm just saying, if it was the Darwin Award, this is like bronze. The gold would have been losing the penis. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is this is a bronze medal of yeah of uh of penis stupidity. I'm not sure what we can really add to that except don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't do it, guys. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So that that's that is that's definitely weird. That, that definitely weird. So I have terrible, which is actually it's, it's similar theme, similar but worse. Re- region. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, this could have happened. Yeah. Okay. So take it away. This is worse. You you can tell when a re- when a, a reporter is writing about something extremely unpleasant, but they're having yeah. a little too much fun with the prose. Yeah. Thirty thirty thousand pounds or thirty thousand euros for botch penis job could lead to new law case. Judges in Lisbon have ruled that a well-known plastic surgeon should pay one of his clients thirty thousand euros for the botch job performed on enlarging the man's penis. 
As a result of the news, a second man has come forward to say that he too will be suing the surgeon as he has suffered a similar personal disaster. Rui Fernandez, 53, 53? That's all, that's, anyway, elected to have surgery to increase the size of his penis in 2016. The real ordeal, as he described it, ended with an even smaller penis. One so small, in fact, that he says he can't hold it in his hand. This is terrible. It's so terrible. Isn't that terrible? Is The, the whole experience has completely ruined his sex life. He tells Correo de, de Mania. That he hasn't managed to be with a woman since the operation. Rui Fernandez has only now found the courage to do something about the situation after learning that the surgeon uh, has been condemned to pay damages of 30,000 pounds for a similar error. This is an epidemic. And remember, there was another story about a guy who just failed to show up for his penis uh, reattachment surgery? Right. So, again, I don't know what's in these people's schedules. They must have very exciting lives to prioritize something over penis health. Um, and you know what? This is this is like a Me Too, a penis surgery Me Too. It took one one person comes forward and, and then, then yeah, emboldens other, other people to come forward, which right. is good. But there is an interesting philosophical question here, which is that, look, this is elective surgery, right? Mm -hmm. Now... I, and I don't know what the malpractice standard is for this. And I don't know. How do we know he botched it as opposed to it was just an impossible situation to work with? Well, um, if he used an axe, I'm going to assume that yes, he botched it. Yes, that's true. It, yeah, right? right, right. Yeah. There's a real industry in Lisbon when it comes to uh, penis enhancement. Mm-hmm. And you see it's a tourism website. Penis enlargement tourism? So if you scroll down, about penis enlargement, uh, the information is intended for general information only and should not be considered as medical advice on the part of healthtourism.com. Penis enlargement, at times referred to as male enhancement, relates to a variety of methods meant to increase erectile rigidity, girth, or length of the human penis. Human only, guys. Do not bring in your cow right. for this. Right. Yeah. Or three-toed sloth or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, procedures cover from manual workouts to stretching gadgets and surgical treatments. Taper. Tape ta I wouldn't bring a taper to this clinic either. Oh, yeah, I forgot about those. Yeah. Uh, but maybe a tape measure uh, with reports of positive results and setbacks globally. I, I, I just love the idea of, of combining tourism with, with this. Male, male enhancement yeah. tourism. Come to Lisbon... Come for the seafood, stay for the penis enhancement. Right, right, exactly. But uh, you, you have to be circumcised, which is interesting and kind of problematic, I feel like. Can't you squeeze in a circumcision if you're making a penis bigger? Like, that's, that's the line? Yeah, I feel that feels discriminatory to me. Anyway, it's bad. And look, uh, that was a crushing detail about how he can no longer hold it in his hand. I mean, right. what, what can he hold it with? A uh, tweezer, yeah, <laughs> and a, and a magnifying glass. Just don't. Just don't do it. Don't put your dick in a door, and don't try to make it bigger because it'll get smaller. Our next guest is a return guest. Matt Stoller is the director of research at the American Economic Liberties Project. He's the author of the Simon and Schuster book Goliath: The Hundred Year war between monopoly power and democracy, which Business Insider called one of the year's best books on how to rethink capitalism and improve the economy. The reason we wanted uh, wanted to have Matt on this week in particular is because 
there are hearings in, in, in Congress this week that ostensibly are about the tech industry. So the energy House Energy and Commerce Committee is is inviting people like Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pinchai to to Washington. And we've, we've, we've seen a bunch of these hearings already where they kind of bring all these CEOs to Washington and kind of yell at them about why haven't you stopped this and that. This is all taking place within this kind of meta discussion that's happening within the Democratic Party. Like, what do we do about speech? Matt Stoller is one of the few people who's sort of on the Democratic Party, within the world of Democratic Party aligned activists who is looking at this from kind of like a traditionally liberal point of view, which says basically that you address these speech issues not by making the more these companies more concentrated and using it to, to clamp down on speech, but instead by like looking at their business model, which encourages stupid and defamatory and, and conspiratorial speech. It's kind of surveillance-based ad regimes that they all use. So he's kind of an expert in this stuff, and I think it's useful to get into because a lot of people, especially online, are thinking, well, there's only really one way to deal with like hate speech and fake news and other things. And actually, that stuff happens for a reason that's very connected to how these companies do business. And he's really a good person to talk about those issues. So without further ado, let's let's talk to, to Matt Stoller. Welcome to Useful Idiots, Matt Stoller, who is the Director of Research at the American Economic Liberties Project. Matt, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. We wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. By the time this comes out, these hearings will be over, but there are hearings this week in the Energy and Commerce Committee that are about, the headline of it, the title is, Hearing on Disinformation Nation, Social Media's Role in Promoting Extremism and Misinformation. There's a big debate kind of going on within the Democratic-aligned activist world and in, in politics about approaches to dealing with problems in the speech world. And I was wondering if you could sort of, A, outline what that debate is, and then we can talk about what your thoughts are uh, about that. Because the, the, the fashionable thing currently is what's going to happen tomorrow, which is they're going to bring all these CEOs in, yell at them, and demand that they clamp down on stuff. Uh, but it's not a very nuanced look at at the the bigger problem in the industry, it seems to me. But but if you could explain it, probably better than me. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a good explanation. I mean, the I don't know why you even had me on. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a fraud. Uh, the uh, yeah, there's 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 sort of in it's inchoate, but there's like two sides. And one is, you know, for a long time there have been a bunch of people who've been saying, hey, these firms are really powerful. I say a long time, but five to ten years. This is kind of the anti-monopoly wing. Uh, Google and Facebook break them up, regulate them, they're really powerful and big, and that's scary. And that really comes from like the there's a number of committees in Congress. So without getting too deep, there's like the antitrust subcommittee is the one that's been like, hey, these firms are really powerful and they're picking and choosing winners. Use usually like it's about they talk about small business, but the, but the issue with speech is the same thing. Um, and then the other kind of side, which is I think noisier and has more of the like MSNBC, CNN vibe, is is the disinformation misinformation world. This is kind of the Russia Gate people, the like 
the we don't like that Trump can speak type of people. And what their argument is, is effectively that these, uh, these firms haven't sufficiently curated their platforms to present what they think are, is, a, is a legitimate form of public debate. And they're, they're thinking, well, we need to figure out how to get them to filter differently and, and organize discourse differently. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg created their oversight board, which is essentially the Supreme Court for content. Right. People that are kind of right. saying the oversight board, you no, know, keep Trump off of Facebook. Um, and they they kind of accept ideologically. They just accept the dominance of these firms, and they're just kind of like, what's the best way for these firms to organize discourse? Right. So they, it, it's like they want to preserve, or they either want to, or they're conceding the inevitability of the yeah. these firms sort of staying in the form that they're in, and therefore making that concession. They right. kind of want to direct that power in a direction that they'd like better. Is, is that a, yeah. is an accurate summation of what, what that's saying? right. I mean, there's, 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 there's a lot of different reasons for that. Some of them are, are kind of like neoliberal. A lot of the law professors are like, Oh, this is just the way of technology. And, you know, this is more efficient. And therefore the question is how do you manage these large uh, platforms, which are just fun. They're just inevitable. This is just what happens. And then there's, there's actually like socialists who think that too, who are just kind of like, well, the internet killed newspapers, the internet does all of these things. So we have to figure out. And also there's a bunch of them that never liked commercial press in the first place, you know, Victor Picard and, and a lot of well-meaning people who are like, we never liked, you know, advertising models to begin with. We think everything should be like the BBC. Um, and so those are the kind of the two groups that are, that accept the inevitability thesis and it goes, it's really deep rooted in political philosophy. It's not like a, it's not just a simple disagreement. And then there's people like us who are like, no, no, actually technology is deployed according to law and regulation and the specific regulatory model that we have, the business structures of these firms, the way they make money from advertising, those are specific policy choices and we can make different ones if we want. And it also seems like it, one of those groups, I mean, some may identify as socialist, but that there's this just general group of we oppose hate speech and white supremacy. And so we have to make these companies that are evil, stop being evil and decide, give them moral authority and uh, content moderation authority, which is kind of a, you know, inherent co contradiction slash wishful thinking slash inconsistent paradox. I think that's right. And I don't mean to mis, I didn't, I don't mean to mischaracterize socialism. The socialism is a, there's a lot of different people who have a lot yeah. of different points of view. When I mean to mischaracterize socialism, you'll know it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you're saying like leftists, right? Leftists, not, not liberals, not neoliberals, not even liberals, but people who are really would identify as left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think yeah. There's, there's a sort of, there's a part of the socialist world that's like, what we really want is egalitarianism in the form of a giant HR compliance department that tells everyone to be tolerant, right? And then there are most people who are like, no, I just don't like Wall Street and I want people to be equal and everyone should have a little yeah. bit of ownership over something. And yeah. they both call themselves socialists. Sure, uh, yeah. They're, they're just different. They're, these are more statists, people that want to are kind of centralizers. And that's really the distinction. It's the centralizers versus the decentralizers. Um, and you, that's on the, that's on the right, left and center. But no, I do think like the more frustrating group is because obviously they're neoliberals who want this to happen. And that's not as, as like, to me, at least, uh, surprising, but I do think it's, it's very short-sighted and ahistorical when you have people who, uh, want 
uh, are calling for content moderation and from these corporations, which they know aren't good, but they somehow think will become good. And I have heard this weird argument that, well, uh, the left is already censored, so who cares if they censor the right? That's good. I don't know if you've come, if you've heard that, but it's pretty, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, there's anyway, we can, there's yeah. a there's certain victim complex type in politics, which is not isolated to the left or the right. right? Not at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Anyway, so that, but yeah, let's, we can get back to. But, but this is all sensitive. I mean, that's the thing. It's like when you boil, yeah. I tried to use words to be like, oh, they want to organize discourse and different. That was like a, that's a nice way of saying they want people to censor on their behalf, right? And that's like, and, and censorship happens in a number of different ways. One, one, one way to censor is just to say this content can't travel, right? We're just going to block the content. The other way is to arrange financing resources so that only people who say certain things can make money from it. Um, right. And, you know, advertising is really complicated. But really, if you go back to the 1800, early 1800s, um, the foundation of the post office, the foundation of, of, of kind of the modern or not, of newspaper systems, advertising was a way of financing um, newspapers and protecting them from the state, right? And that's so important because the, the way that Americans have always thought about the media is that the media should be a check on the powerful and should be a check on the state. And you need a financing system that arranges that. And advertising and subscriptions, and then neutral types of subsidies like the creation of the post office um, and subsidization of the development of the internet, these kind of structural subsidies, that's the traditional way that we have regulated um, the, the um, discourse. And then in the po in sort of the 20th century, the first amendment took a central position, but traditionally like before that, it, it was, um, we thought about speech in terms of network systems and, and structures. And the post office was a lot more in America, a lot more important in the 19th century than the First Amendment was. Well, this gets to something that I think is important in this debate, which is the structural reasons why a lot of the things that people complain about on these platforms happen. It feels to me like a lot of the, the critics who want these, these companies to kind of just censor more some of that comes from a lack of understanding of why these problems happen in the in the first place. There's a belief, I think, that it's an organic thing that's springing up out of the population and we just have to clamp down on it. But there's another way of looking at it, which is that this is the in inevitable result of a certain kind of economic strategy uh, and set of incentives that that dominates these companies. And you've made this argument, I know, and and the American Economic Liberties Project talked about there's a reason why taking Trump off Twitter isn't going to fix the problem because you're not fixing those incentives. Can you talk about what those incentives are and why they cause the problems? Yeah. So Google and Facebook, uh, I'll talk about Twitter slightly. It's a slightly different problem, but Google and Facebook are core internet infrastructure. So they have trackers all over the web and they're tracking you even when you're not on Google and Facebook, they track you on your apps. They have they have huge dossiers of data on you. And then they also show ads to you when you're not on their sites. Like Facebook and Google both are large advertising systems. And they have they also control software that advertisers use and publishers use. So and they are communication networks. Now, what this means is that they are interested in keeping you using their services and they are interested in collecting lots of data so that they can sell you advertising. Google and Facebook 
they sell ads, right? They collect lots of information on you and they sell ads and ads are valuable for two reasons. One, you're looking at them and two, if they know who you are and they know information about you, then they can make the ad more valuable. Like a random ad space isn't worth very much that you're showing to some undefined person. An ad space you're showing to a 55-year-old man who's thinking of buying a luxury car, somebody will pay a lot for that ad space, right? And Or if you know who that person is and you know that that person has actually been browsing luxury car websites and reading the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, you know, about how best to like liquidate their portfolio or something to buy a luxury item, that ad space is super valuable, right? So knowing a lot about the person and what they're doing makes advertising uh, valuable. And Google and Facebook want to sell that advertising, particularly on their properties where they get to keep 100% of the profits. If Google, you know, sells an ad on YouTube, they get to keep the money. Facebook sells an ad on Instagram or Facebook, they get to keep the money. So their goal is to keep you using their sites and to collect information on you. To do that, they have all sorts of psychological tricks that they use. Engagement is the sort of the way that they talk about it. But, but it's like if you go and you look for something um, on, on YouTube, they're going to send you something that's a little bit more extreme. And it's not necessarily just political. It's like, if you look at stuff that's like, here's how to become a vegetarian, they'll say, well, how about becoming a vegan, right? Or if you look at stuff that's like scared of, of, um, of whether this vaccine, I really want to find safety data on this vaccine, eventually they'll sort of move you to like serious anti-vax world, right? That's what will show up in your feeds. And that's just to sell advertising. The question that we have to ask is, not whether you should block crazy people from saying things. Like Alex Jones, for example, is a crazy person or a, a, an entertainer, but he says things that I don't particularly like or agree with. The question though, isn't whether Alex Jones should have a platform. We've always allowed people on go to, to the, go to the corner of the street and say whatever they want or to, to write pamphlets or whatever. The question is, should YouTube have recommended Alex Jones 15 billion times? through its algorithms so that YouTube could make money selling ads. That's a different question than censorship. And conversely, not recommended other material right. that might discourage you from believing Alex Jones. That's exactly right. And it's not just that they want to create more inventory so they can sell ads. It's also the kinds of ads they're selling. So you can sell an ad based on trust, like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whoever it is, they have an audience and people, they built that audience by investing in content and then they sell ads to that audience and the advertiser knows where that advertising is going and it's based on trust, okay? The alternative model, which we have now, is simply based on clickbait. It's just generate as many impressions as possible and then sell those impressions wherever, you know, wherever the person is on the web. And that creates a kind of journalism which is designed to get clicks or not even journalism. It's just you're creating content just to get engagement and not actually to build trust. So what the, this business model does, we call it surveillance advertising, but it's, but it's an infrastructure player, a communications player manipulating you so that they could put content, engaged content in front of you. What that does is it gets you to, um, uh, it, it incentivizes a low trust form of content production. It both kills trusted content producers, AKA local newspapers, right? Because you no longer need to be able to put in advertising in the Pittsburgh, you know, um, Gazette, whatever it is. Um, you can just 
geotarget those people through all of these other, you know, through Google and Facebook. And that content is not any, you know, people are going to click on that or they're not, you know, you can, you can get some Eastern European to falsify, um, you know, falsify stories and people will click on that. Right. So it kills legitimate newspapers and it creates an incentive for low trust content, fraudulent content, defamatory content, whatever it is they, that will keep you engaged and is, is often fraudulent. And this hits on, it hits really local newspapers and niche newspapers the most. So black owned newspapers and also newspapers having to do with like hobbies. It also affects political dialogue, but the, the actual issue is more about niche audiences themselves and the kind of low trust content that we're encouraging with our policy framework versus what we used to do, which we would encourage higher trust forms of, of content. I had a friend who, who basically like drew me a diagram of, of his perception of how this works. Like if you can imagine like a circle, that's the set of all your attention, right? So all the things that you're interested in. And then Facebook will identify a circle inside that circle, which is all the things that you're super uh, interested in that are, that are likely to engage you for a, an incredibly long time. They will only send you, they will push you towards that inner circle they they don't want you moving out of that little bubble at all right. they want you the to be engaged in the pure heroin of what or of whatever it is that stimulates right. your you the most and keeps you engaged the most which does a couple of things number one it prevents you from from using the part of your mind that exercises judgment or is exposed to different kinds of ideas and it totally devalues what you were talking about the business model that like say the old Pittsburgh Post-Gazette built right. up, which was, you know, you spend decades building up a, a trust with your audience and that's the business model, right? Like you trust us, you're going to trust our advertisers, but you don't need that anymore with this. Like th that, that business model is now useless because what's, what's most important is just keeping you fixated. So it, it, it not only like uh, creates, a, an incredibly stupid conspiratorial negative form of content or highlights it, but it devalues that other kind of content and, and, and makes a worse kind of consumer at the same time. Yeah. You should also say that it's not as if the New York Times and Washington Post should be trusted either, but it's, it is still no, a different but, model. Well, 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 they're also shifting now too. Yeah. That's, that's a thing Like they're, they're changing their business model in this direction, but that's a different yeah, question. Well, everything was perfect before. Yeah, right? yeah of course, of course. We didn't go to war yeah. in Iraq. Right, under, exactly. This push by Judy Miller. That didn't right. happen. Everything is right. yeah. Um, no, if you want to go back, I mean, really, you should go back to the 96 Telecom Act and consolidation. But I actually want to offer one other problem that these these uh, firms cause, right? This, this business model. Because we all think, oh, I'm not susceptible to propaganda or, or whatever they're doing, right? And that's true. But we've all maybe, probably not. It's probably true. You're probably like are not going to go down the anti-vax rabbit hole. But like, but that's not our predisposition anyway. To be fair, right? So, oh, but we've all had the experience of like it's Friday at eight p.m. and you like open YouTube and you like watch a video and then all of a sudden it's like nine thirty, and you're like rabbit hey, hole. Where'd the evening go? Right? And it's like the evening went. There were a thousand engineers behind that screen who have been trained basically on casino architecture that put bells and whistles on that screen to get you to waste their, your Friday night, right? That, that's a cost. Like, it's a, this stuff is a giant waste of time, right? I mean, we all know that, that like, and it, it also affects our ability to think and to concentrate. I know I, I don't remember things as much. I can't concentrate as much. And like- Books this, are harder to read. Yeah, yeah. 
it's emotionally draining to like get into fights uh, or not get into fights because these the, the the architecture kind of moves you in that direction. It's like it's like if you were in a bar and there were there were a guy in the corner that was constantly egging people on to right. get into fights, and he got paid whenever somebody got into a fight. Right. right. That's kind of the business model here. So it's not like it's not like he's forcing you to do things, but he's like making it like making the world more unpleasant and also kind of encouraging people to go in that direction, knowing that some percentage will, and then he'll get that he'll get paid on it. So it's like this is a giant waste of time. It makes our lives worse. And, Matt, um, thanks so yeah. much for coming on, and uh, you have to come back sometime. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. Solar. Bye. This week's Substack Only episode is an extended interview with Matt Stoller and a Stone Moment or Biden Comedy Packet submission. And guys, we want to encourage you to record your questions for us. Tweet out a video um, of yourself asking a question. You can use the hashtag #UsefulIdiotsQuestion. We will collect them and watch some of them, play some of them, respond to some of them, and tag me and Matt. So um, I'm Katie Helps, letter K, letter T, H A L P S, and Matt is M Taibbi, M T A I B B I, and also tag Useful Idiots Pod. That was interesting, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you again next week. Then please subscribe at UsefulIdiots.substack.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.